are common threads in lore throughout the world. Nearly every country and culture has its own distinct tales. In the United Kingdom, for example, many stories revolve around mystical creatures in the rolling hills and mists that are characteristic of the landscape. In the United States, we talk a lot about Bigfoot, who allegedly roams our forests and mountains. And in Canada, snow and wintry imagery play a large role in legends there. On this episode of Listen with the Lights On, we explore a French-Canadian tale from Montreal. Are the lights on? Good. Welcome to Listen with the Lights On. I'm Jessica Blaustein Marshall. And I'm Patrick Garrett. As you enter the campus of McGill University in the heart of Montreal, you see students mingling about buildings that display a mix of modern and Gothic architecture. But beyond the busy bustle of the campus, looming on the horizon is the voluminous Mont-Royal, the city's namesake, and the setting for one of Montreal's most haunting tales. I met Donovan King on campus. He leads Haunted Montreal Ghost Tours and authors the Haunted Montreal blog where he shares scary stories from around L'Ile de Montréal. He told me about the legend of Simon McTavish, a tale he says is one of the creepiest ghost stories in Canada. So the story begins in 1775 when a man named Simon McTavish arrived here in Montreal from Inverness Shire, Scotland. And so he was a ruthless businessman and he came here to Montreal because the British had just taken over this city in 1760 when they conquered New France. So there were a lot of business opportunities here for the new colonists who were colonizing the old French colony. And so when he arrived, one of the first things he did uh, is he got involved in the fur trade and this was a way to make a lot of money back then and he actually managed to take over the fur trade from a lot of the French traders and he founded a company called the Norwest Company uh, and it wasn't long before he was the richest man in all of Montreal uh, but he was also said to be quite arrogant and so he would always wear the finest clothing um, you know jewelry uh, he had a gold-tipped cane he would often whack people with his cane if he felt they were disrespectful towards him uh, he insisted on being called the Emperor or Le Marquis, even though he was just a merchant. He had no political affiliations. And he also founded a club called the Cream of the Town, of the 100 richest and most important citizens in his mind. And so this is the type of fellow that he was. He purchased a large swath of land just here on Mount Royal and he actually purchased the, the property right next to James McGill. So James McGill was his neighbor, uh, which is very interesting because the street we were just walking up that's all being uh, renovated is called McTavish Street and that was the boundary of the property. What he decided to do is he assembled a small army of workers, uh, engineers, architects, builders to begin constructing what was to be known as the McTavish Castle. And so they began constructing this uh, magnificent castle right on the side of Mount Royal based on the baronial estates in the highlands of Scotland. And so uh, work was you know, progressing at a good clip uh, on the castle until about 1804, it was nearing completion. 
and uh, McTavish liked to supervise, you know, very, very much of a hands-on kind of person. And if the workers were working too slowly, he would just whack them with his cane. And so with the castle almost completed, he was sort of redoubling his efforts at supervision. And he had a mansion in what's now old Montreal and a small stone cottage about 100 yards to the west of the castle. Now, one day uh, when traversing the two properties, he got caught in a rather bad rainstorm and he got soaked. And, uh, you know, this caused him to develop a cold. Now, his doctor advised him to stay in bed, take a few days of bed rest. But McTavish didn't listen to him. He only listened to himself. That's the kind of man he was. And so his cold developed into pneumonia. This also developed into pleurisy. And to make a long story short, he basically died uh, just weeks before the completion of his castle. And so the, the citizens were shocked. I mean, here was the richest man, you know, the man who considered himself the most important had suddenly died. So they had this elaborate funeral for him up on Mount Royal. Uh, they built a mausoleum on his favorite spot in the back of his garden where he liked to read. And, uh, you know, his, his nephews, William and Duncan McGillivray, erected this tall stone column uh, in his honor devoted to his manly virtue. Now, following the funeral, all work on the castle was abandoned due to legal issues, things like the deed to the property, the last will and testament. Now, as the years passed, the castle slowly began to crumble and take on a look of dilapidation. And so cattle would wander inside and sheep in the summertime and birds would nest there. And in the winter from the city below, it almost looked like this big hollow skull uh, with the snow drifting through its sockets, staring down on the city. And so it was this creepy location for sure. Now, McGill University opened its doors in 1821, so the first students here on campus had this creepy, dilapidated castle hovering just above the campus. And so uh, a lot of the students began talking about this and rumors began spreading about McTavish's death, uh, rumors that had nothing to do with reality, you know. Now, to make matters worse, you know, McGill, as you may know, has a reputation for uh, rambunctiousness amongst the students. Nowadays, it's the frat boys uh, who cause most of the shenanigans. But back in the 1800s, it was actually the snowshoeing club who were the troublemakers. And so they would actually uh, start right here where we are at the McLennan Library. As I mentioned before, back then it was a house called Dulcusha. And so they would put their snowshoes on at Dilkusha. They would drink copious amounts of alcohol, light up their torches, and then start their trek up the mountain with their snowshoes. And so from the city, it almost looked like a fiery snake going up because they were going in single file. But the thing is, they would often stop at the tomb of Simon McTavish to yell and holler and try to rouse his spirit. Uh, now, some of these students went a little bit too far in the late 1820s. They actually... Uh, broke into the mausoleum and uh, vandalized the interior. And so when a locksmith came the following day to repair the lock, uh, he noted that someone had tipped over the coffin of Simon McTavish and spilled the remains on the floor. And so it was around that time that the rumors really began to pick up uh, that you know the site on the mountain, his castle and his mausoleum were extremely haunted. And some of the rumors included that he could be seen dancing on a moonlit night on the roof of his castle. 
Uh, others reported ghosts flitting in and out of the doors and the windows of the castle. And others reported these strange noises emanating from inside that almost sounded like cries of pain and human agony. But the strangest story of all, and this one really takes the cake in my opinion, it was said that he could be seen on certain winter nights actually tobogganing down the slopes of Mount Royal, but not in a toboggan or a sled, but rather in his own coffin, terrorizing people. <laughs> and so you can imagine, with all of these stories, the citizens were becoming quite fearful of the mountain, and they didn't want to go there anymore. Uh, and it was seen as a bit of a problem, because they wanted to convert this into a parkland, which eventually they did. Uh, with Frederick Law Olmsted designing it, the same man who did Central Park. And they got uh, a group called the Antiquarian Society involved, who were very, very much a logical organization, very humanist. They didn't believe in things like religion or ghosts. And so they tried to explain to the citizens that this, this was all just nonsense and that ghosts didn't exist. Oh, really? asked the citizens. Well, how, pray tell? How do you explain a tobogganing ghost? Now, believe it or not, there actually was a logical explanation. Because, you see, during that era, it wasn't only the students at McGill University who were breaking into the tombs and the mausoleums, but also the professors. <laughs> yeah, and that's because it was illegal to obtain a corpse for the anatomy classroom uh, until the mid-1800s. Uh, when they started delivering the bodies of prisoners uh, to, to the medical school. But back then, the professors had to figure out their own way to get a body. And so here at McGill, luckily just up on Mount Royal, there were two large cemeteries, the Catholic Cemetery and the Protestant Cemetery. And so the professor would go up in the middle of the night uh, to the, ca the Catholic Cemetery. McGill's a Protestant university, of course. Uh, and he would go to the pauper's grave, uh, the type where the person was too poor to afford a tombstone. And so he would actually dig out the type of person no one would notice was even missing because there was nothing to indicate they were there. And he would put the body on his toboggan and slide it back down the southern side of Mount Royal uh, to the McGill Medical Building to be dissected first thing in the morning. And he was known as the Resurrectionist. But whatever the case, uh, it was finally decided in 1861 to demolish uh, the remains of his castle because by now it had really become a dangerous eyesore and with all the rumors they just wanted to get rid of it once and for all. What was uh, interesting is while they were dismantling it, a worker fell three stories to his death on a windless day. And some people say that was McTavish's final act of revenge. Because using all of that rubble from his demolished castle, they trucked it up further up the mountain to his mausoleum and then buried his mausoleum under a mountain of earth and rubble to protect it from any further grave robbing or abuse. So the only thing left at this stage was that monument that was erected by his nephews, William and Duncan. And even that collapsed in 1942, a victim of uh, Montreal's elements and human neglect. And so there was really nothing whatsoever to indicate uh, the remains of the man who was once the richest and perhaps most infamous in all of Montreal. So the whole story had been erased literally from the landscape. Now, some of the citizens demanded action 
And so the city installed a very discreet monument uh, at the site of the mausoleum, uh, which you can still visit today. But, you know, most people walking by it have no idea about this story and how uh, fascinating it was back in the era. And so here we have this amazing ghost story of, I mean, a tobogganing ghost. I mean, that's so Canadian. It's like the ultimate ghost story. I personally think this is sort of the Canadian legend of Sleepy Hollow. That's fascinating. The tobogganing ghost, the Canadian kind of lore. What what kind of makes Canadian ghost stories different from ghost stories in America or in England or anywhere else that you've been? Yeah, well, here we have various different layers of history that, do, that don't exist elsewhere. So we have a, a long... A uh, period of First Nations uh, people who've lived here for over 10,000 years. So they've got all sorts of stories of their own. And then you had the layer of colonization of the French who came very much at the end of the medieval era. So their traditions are largely medieval, including things like torture and uh, bizarre forms of execution, uh, witch hunts, all of these types of things. And then the British took over in 1760, which was very much uh, the Renaissance moving into the Victorian era. And so then they have all of the stories uh, from those eras. And then the society changed again uh, into Canada and then uh, into this very much nationalistic place of Quebec where there was a wave of terrorism, uh, attempts to separate the country through referendums. So the history is constantly changing here, and it's, it's also an, a history that's often oppressive. And when you have an oppressive history, you often get a lot of ghosts emerging from that. And you've also got the nature there, which is very Canadian, Mount Royal itself. And you've also got the toboggan, which is a very Canadian symbol, and the winter. So to me, it just has all of the elements of a great Canadian ghost story. Whereas in other countries, the stories might not have all of these same elements. In fact, they definitely wouldn't uh, in somewhere like... uh, the United Kingdom, there isn't a lot of snow, and so there wouldn't be something like a toboggan. In fact, often I have to explain what a toboggan is to my clients uh, who are not from a northern part of the world. You're living in a bilingual city, you're telling stories in two different languages. Do you think there's a difference in the way a story is told like this is told in the French language versus the English language? Like, say, your, your Francophone counterparts, do they tell it differently, or is there a different emphasis on different parts of it? I'm just trying to get a sense of if stories differ between languages. You know, working with Fantôme Montréal for 10 years, we have a very bilingual clientele, and so we often discuss this amongst the actors. And uh, it seems that the French people... They want more uh, religious stuff in the stories, actually, and that's probably because of the history here of the Catholic colonization. So they're more interested in saints and, you know, miracles and these types of things, whereas the English-speaking people are more interested in sort of the Gothic, the Victorian horror, uh, something creepy or, or uh, horrifying or things like that. So there is a, a sort of a difference there. Uh, there's also a difference in, in the treatment of the actors. It seems in French they tip a lot less, unfortunately. Uh, it's this less part of the culture, I guess, whereas in English they tend to tip more for the actors. So there's definitely some differences there. Thanks for joining us. Listen with the Lights On is a production of WAMC. Our theme music is Grizzly Reminder by Midnight Syndicate. For more spine-tingling tales, check out our podcast or head over to wamc.org. 